The following message was given by Leo Paris, a pastor at Covenant Fellowship Church in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania, and a guest preacher at Valley Creek Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.valleycreek.church. Let's turn to God's Word together. We're going to start in Matthew 15 and verse 29, just to give a little context, and then we'll read all the way to verse 12 of chapter 16. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put, him, put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered. When they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began to discuss it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood 
that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. May God bless the preaching of his word. Have you ever experienced the terrifying shock of forgetfulness? You're enjoying yourself, loving life, maybe watching a funny cat video, noticing the beauty of the sunshine coming through the windows, warming your hands and smelling the rich aroma of your coffee. All is well, all is calm. When suddenly, like an ice cold bucket on your head or an electric shock that sends you out of your chair, you remember you're supposed to be somewhere else. Suddenly, the beauty of the sun has become uncomfortably warm. Your delicious coffee has burnt your mouth completely out of your body as you chug it down, race for your keys, jump in your car, and back out of your driveway like a NASCAR driver. In one moment, tranquility turns to terror. Through my college years, some of you know, this was the normal experience for me. I was given three different iPods back when they were super expensive, two of them by my now wife. One by one, I forgot where they were, and I lost them all. I was a chemistry education major, so you'd think I'd take my classes seriously, but no, I remember one day stumbling into physics class, sitting down, getting ready for a lecture when I just noticed everybody around me was studying and it was physics midterm day. I spent the whole time trying to derive the formulas for the test. To this day, I've received my fair messages from some of you saying, hey, are you still good to meet 10 minutes after we were supposed to meet? I've had to eat my fair share of humble pie because of my forgetfulness. And maybe you're not as forgetful as me, Um, But I think we're all prone to forgetfulness in certain ways. Missed appointments, forgotten promises that we would pray, racing around the house to try to find our keys. We're paralyzed when we see that person and we can't place their name, right? We're all prone to forget. Humans are prone to forget. And though our forgetfulness is at times just silly weakness, right? When it comes to spiritual matters, forgetfulness is deadly. Forgetfulness is deadly. This past week, we celebrated Thanksgiving. I'm so grateful our nation has a holiday to help us stop and consider the ways to be grateful. It's one of our shared virtues in Sovereign Grace It's a way that we're supposed to live in response to the gospel together so that we orient towards life as though we can find things for Thanksgiving no matter if we're in a good or bad season. It teaches us to not lose heart when we're in hard seasons, right? And it teaches us not to get too elated when we're in seasons of blessing by tracing everything back to our God. But forgetfulness is one of the main enemies of Thanksgiving, By not remembering God's faithfulness in all things, we are left with the pains and the groans and the wants that refuse to be forgotten. Forgetfulness is deadly to our faith. It's the difference between unbelief and belief. Unbelief flows from forgetfulness. And today God's word rouses us from our forgetfulness and calls us to fight 
to remember, to take every thought captive, to fix our mind on our compassionate Savior who loves to provide for us, to fight the forgetfulness that deadens our hearts towards God. So so right at the start, before we dive into the text, think about this. Where do you need God to provide for you right now? Where are you feeling that pinch? Where are you tempted to doubt that he will provide, forgetting the times that he has cared for you again and again? Well, let's, let's take that sort of chill of forgetfulness that comes in and let's warm ourselves by this text and see three different things it reminds us of. First, it reminds us of Christ's compassion. So first, it, rem- it says, remember Christ's compassion. In chapter 15, verses 32 uh, and on, Jesus feeds a crowd of 4,000 men, not to mention the women and children that were there. And if you're thinking this feeding of the crown sounds, crowd, crowd rather, sounds really familiar, uh, you're right. It's, perhaps it's like when you watch a movie and you suddenly realize halfway through, I've seen this before. Because you've been studying Matthew, haven't you? And this is not the first time that Jesus has done this amazing miracle. Back in chapter 14, Jesus already fed a crowd of 5,000 people. And here there's 4,000. So you should ask yourself... As a good student of God's word, why does he record another miracle like he did before? Well, first, because Jesus really did two miracles, okay? So sometimes it's as simple as that. But Matthew's selective, isn't he? Why does Matthew report this second miracle? Well, secondly, Matthew particularly in this instance wants to highlight Jesus' heart. He wants to highlight Jesus' heart of compassion, He says in verse 32, Jesus does, I have compassion on the crowd. I'm unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint. Linger over those words. Don't don't move too fast. I am unwilling to let them go hungry. These words give us a window into the very heart of the Savior of the universe, The one who upholds the universe by the power of his word, in whom all things hold together, the one who created you, what does he care most about? He lives and longs and delights to show compassion. It's amazing. Matthew includes this miracle because he wants us to be wowed by Christ's power, but even more, he wants us to be wooed by the heart of Jesus. Jesus is not an emotionless, stoic savior. He delights to save. He's like his father who sings over the people he saves. When Jesus sees a need, he comes running to meet it. As God always has, the one who multiplied these loaves is one with the God who spread the manna in the wilderness. The one who has compassion on the crowds is the same God who heard the cries of Israel when they were in bondage in Egypt. God has always longed and loved to show compassion. And now God is beginning to unveil the very depths of his soul, his heart, in his son, Jesus Christ's longing to save. Maybe you are looking at the heating bills that are looming in the coming months. 
or the cost of Christmas gifts is stressing you out as you talk about your budget. That might be my experience right now. Remember the compassionate provision of the Lord. Guys, he is unwilling to send you away hungry. Your Savior delights to provide for you. Remember back in Matthew 11, you already heard this in this sermon series. Matthew eleven twenty nine says, Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. So this miracle of the feeding of the 4,000 is an illustration of that heart in action. He is near. He is yearning to help and he is eager to save. Dane Ortland wrote a great book called Gentle and Lowly that you all should read. Uh, hopefully you already have. If not, hey, you can catch up. Get a copy off Amazon or whatever. Uh, but on, on page 32, he says this about the heart of Christ. The same Christ who wept at the tomb of Lazarus weeps with us in our lonely despair. The same one who reached out and touched lepers puts his arm around us today when we feel misunderstood and sidelined. The Jesus who reached out and cleansed messy sinners reaches into our souls and answers our half-hearted plea for mercy with the mighty, invincible cleansing of one who cannot bear to do otherwise. Do you see the strength of that phrase? Cannot bear to do otherwise. It resonates with our passage today. He is unwilling to let the crowds go hungry. This miracle is amazing, but the heart it reveals in Jesus is even more captivating. But Jesus' feeding of this crowd is actually even more remarkable than at first blush if you take a look at the context. That's why I read a little earlier. See, prior to our passage, Jesus has just healed many Gentiles. And he's traveled in a wilderness place now with a large crowd around him, many of whom were Gentiles who had been healed by him. So whereas the 5,000 feeding was a Jewish crowd of people, this is a mixed crowd of people. And the disciples have a strange reaction to Jesus asking them to feed the crowd. Do they not? I mean, he's already multiplied loaves and fishes up to this point, hasn't he? So they'd be like, all right, well, do the thing, right? You imagine, you imagine they're going to say, just do the thing you do, Jesus. But instead, they're, they're saying, well, where are we going to get the bread from? What's behind that? Well, partially the disciples are just thick-headed, right? Like, like you and me. It takes them a few times of something to get it. But also, remember the divide that existed between Jew and Gentile at this time. Jews did not associate with Gentiles unless they absolutely had to, let alone share a meal with them. Now they find themselves in a wilderness place with scanty resources and Jesus is asking them to share a meal with their precious resources with a bunch of Gentiles. And yet, in contrast to the disciples, Jesus pushes past this and he says, I'm unwilling. We will feed them. And he multiplies the, lo the loaves and the fish. Behold the compassion of Jesus Christ that extends beyond one people to all nations. His saving heart was for all nations way before it became cool to have diversity trainings, okay? 
He loves all the people he has made and delights in gathering them, saving them for the glory of his name. He loves the outsider. He loves you if you don't feel like you're deserving provision. He loves the outsider. Guys, this is God's heart for you. This is how he looks at you when you're in need. So regardless of where you come from or how you have sinned, he yearns to provide for you. And regardless of how you have forgotten his goodness to you, he is not willing to send you away. And he invites you to his table. And so like the old hymn says, let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. And right now, just spiritually, feel these from from the Lord. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost, and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all, right? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that while we were still enemies, while we were still weak, while we were still in our sin, Jesus is moved to compassion and provides for us. Have you forgotten that he has this heart for you? Even more than the material provisions we experience, we've got to rejoice and give thanks that God delights in giving us exactly what we need to thrive with his heart. He doesn't just give it to us begrudgingly. He loves to give. Guys, he's not annoyed by your many needs. He's not weary from your constant asking for help. You're not like fingers on a chalkboard to him. Your song of mercy is his favorite song. He is able to provide, and our text leaves no doubt about this. Did you catch this? When we read, it says that all ate and were satisfied. That word literally means gorged. Like they use it in a lot of different ways, but it means you're so stuffed, it's like overflowing. This is a remarkable amount of provision. It's an abundance of food for needy people. It's more than they know what to do with. Friend, he is able to provide for you. And so we remember Christ's heart of compassion. Lest we forget and lest thanksgiving be snuffed out, we remember Christ's heart. Second thing this passage teaches us to remember, remember the sign of Jonah. Remember the sign of Jonah. So as chapter 15 draws to a close, Jesus travels now to a Jewish town, and Jewish authorities, the Pharisees and Sadducees, emerge to test him. Now, if you've been reading carefully, you've noticed that the scribes and Pharisees have already engaged Jesus a couple times at this point to test him, but this is the first time we see Pharisees and Sadducees collaborate, and this is unusual. These were political enemies in Israel, and they had different religious views that were pretty substantial. But these normal enemies become frenemies because of a common enemy in Jesus Christ. Their authority was being threatened, and so they ally to attack Jesus. And so they come to Jesus, and they demand a sign. Consider the audacity of this. All the healings exorcisms, walking on water, feeding large crowds. All this was not enough. They wanted a sign. Pointing to their ability to predict weather based on the signs in the sky, 
Jesus rebukes them for their blindness. But this is no innocent request from these people. This is the Pharisees and Sadducees claiming to be an authority over Jesus. You need to verify yourself through the proper authorities. How incredibly inappropriate. But friends, this is what many in our time are doing today. This is what I did before I trusted in Jesus Christ. We approach the all-powerful God and demand him to prove himself to us as though we are an authority over him. Jesus should destroy us immediately for this with eternal wrath. But how does Jesus respond? He, in verse four he says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it. And we expect it to stop there. But he says, except the sign of Jonah. So Jesus inexplicably actually promises a sign, and it's called the sign of Jonah. So who's this Jonah, remember? He's that prophet, deeply flawed prophet, who refuses to go to Nineveh and was swallowed by fish for his sin, was vomited out, and begrudgingly proclaimed his message to Nineveh and ended his ministry in Jonah, throwing a hissy fit. That's the Jonah, right? And we all maybe remember the song, Jonah was a prophet, who, who, right? All that. That's the Jonah we're talking about here. How is Jesus like Jonah? Jonah's like pretty flawed. Well, Jonah metaphorically died when he was thrown into the sea and swallowed by a fish. Jesus would physically die. Jonah's deliverance on the shore vindicated his message to the Ninevites. And so also Jesus would rise from the dead and cause many to repent and believe. Someone greater than Jonah was there and is here. Jonah was merely a sign of the one who was talking to the Pharisees. Jonah found himself in the belly of that fish because he was trying to run away from God. His sin met the inescapable hand of God. His sin led him there. But Jesus? Jesus was laid in the tomb, not because of sins of his own, but because of you and me. As we ran away, as we lied, as we hated a people we didn't know, Jesus came to be cast into the sea of damnation and be swallowed by the jaws of death. Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jonah would pray a prayer in that fish of emptiness, devoid of conviction, and God would deliver him in an extreme act of unmerited mercy. But Jesus would offer up his prayers to God without ceasing. In sweat drops of blood as he prayed in utter earnestness to God, he would cry out with his last breaths, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. Someone greater than Jonah was there. Jonah would be vomited in shame on that shore to deliver a message in weakness to a city he still hated. But Jesus would rip open the jaws of death. 
he would rise again in power, declaring his omnipotence and blessed status as the conquering Messiah. And the fish would swim on after Jonah. But death was defeated. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Jesus swallowed it up in victory. Someone greater than Jonah was standing before these Pharisees and Sadducees, and they were demanding a sign. Some of us here today are still demanding a sign before we'll repent. We'll line up for hours in the cold waiting for a deal on an iPhone on Black Friday. We'll work three jobs, drown ourselves in bills just to send our kids to the right school. We'll flatter and sacrifice and constantly please others just to be able to find intimacy with some friends. Guys, someone greater is here. No good thing, no thrilling sin, no experience, no status, nothing is like Jesus. We can watch and wait for proof with a whole host of issues, but not with Jesus Christ. He is the greater Jonah, and he has proven himself. Because, guys, Jesus really rose. The scriptures declare it. The facts of history bear witness to it. And if you're honest, your heart is screaming it right now because the Holy Spirit bears witness to it. But even after he rose... The Pharisees and the Sadducees still refused to believe it. They bribed Roman guards to spread false rumors that the disciples had stolen his body. They asked for a sign. Shockingly, they got a sign they didn't deserve. But what they really needed, and what we all need, is the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to help us believe. If you're realizing right now that you have not repented from your sins, you've been waiting for something to happen in your life to vindicate that God's really with you, please repent now. God has done more than enough to prove himself in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we all must respond to his death and resurrection by confessing our sins, declaring him as the Lord of our lives, submitting everything to him and turning from our sins. We cannot stand as authority or judge over Jesus. We must fall to our knees and cry for mercy. So hear the good news that Jesus longs to save you, but do not approach him as an authority. Approach him like the crowds in need. Remember his compassionate heart, guys. He is the judge of the universe, but he longs to save you. Just as the crowds were there and he refused to let them go hungry, he never fails to answer a cry for mercy. Never. If you cry to him, he will fill you with satisfaction. He will save you. He will feed you with his love. Friends, Jesus rose from the grave and we need no more signs. Everything that comes in terms of a word to our hearts or a healing or something like that is just our cup overflowing. We have what we need in what Jesus did on the cross. And Jesus warns us all, beware of the leaven 
of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Friends, this is to us. Beware of this mindset that marks the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says just a little leaven causes a whole bunch of bread to rise. You only need a little bit of this to cause the bread to rise. And he's using that to say this teaching, this mindset, this way of viewing life is powerful to corrupt. And this mindset can infiltrate Christians. Though God saved us and we're grateful for that, our joy can become contingent on him providing for us in specific ways. Our gratitude is conditional on our preferences of how he provides. We begin to come to God as though we know best, as though God needs to prove himself to us, as though we are the authority that needs to validate who he is and who he claims to be. Oh, Lord, have mercy on us. Friends, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees saying to God, prove yourself to me. If you're real, you have to give me this job, spouse, house, family. Prove you're real. Beware. God has proved himself already. And every time we look to the sky, the heavens declare the glory of God. And every time we eat food, he has provided. Every time we breathe, he has sustained. And ultimately, he has proven himself on the cross. Sinclair Ferguson talks about not just what Christ accomplished in saving us, but how it should change us and and show us God's love for us in this quote. He says, God does something to us as well as for us through the cross. God does something to us, to our hearts, as well as for us through the cross. He persuades us that he loves us. On that cross, God proved for you his love in ways that are beyond imagination. The father ripped his heart out for you. He gave his only beloved son. He proved himself. The spirit ignored every natural inclination and withdrew from the son when he was on the cross. He proved himself to you. Jesus submitted himself before the entirety of the terrifying wrath of God. The full weight of the curse of death just pressed him down into the grave. He bore our sins and our curse and our wrath in full. He has proven himself in the most powerful way imaginable. So friends... Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees that stands as judge before the Lord of the universe. Bow before him, submit to him. He is the Christ and he is our only hope. We must not forget his many signs of provision and we surely must not forget the sign of Jonah. Let's look at our last thing this pastor calls us to remember. Remember his, the heart of Christ. Remember uh, the 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 sign of Jonah, and remember the danger of forgetting. Verse four, Jesus and the disciples leave for the other side of the lake. And some time has gone by now. And once again, the disciples are preoccupied with the bread problem, okay? Supposed to be kind of funny. Matthew's like, look at this bread theme that's going on through here. Jesus is meaning one thing with this teaching, and they're like stuck on physical bread. 
right? It's like if you have candy in front of kids and you're doing an object lesson, all they can think about is what is going to happen with that candy. So once again, the disciples are preoccupied with bread, and Jesus is utterly unconcerned with their lack of bread. He warns them in verse 6, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, and he's just using the concept of leaven to illustrate the corrupting influence of the Pharisees' perspective, but the disciples are like, this is, this is a bread, maybe he's going to make bread, maybe he's going to make bread. They were hangry like a Snickers commercial. You ever seen those before? It's like this person who's super grumpy and like, you know, kind of crotchety and then they like snap into a Snickers and then they're like vibrant and everything. They're the worst version of themselves. Remember, he's just multiplied loaves for thousands the second time. And just notice that Jesus doesn't turn to them and say, you adulterous generation. Jesus gently rebukes them. Oh, you of little faith. Acknowledging they have faith. Isn't that kind of Jesus? Oh, you of little faith. It's a, it's a rebuke, but it's a gentle one. He reminds them of his provision with the 5,000 and the 4,000. And he says, do you not remember? We're more like the disciples than we care to admit, friends. How quickly we forget. Our grocery budget balloons each month. And we begin to doubt if we can still afford food when we are some of the first people on the planet to be able to afford meat at every day of the week. God has been really kind to us. The house market balloons in price and inflation rates skyrocket. We despair of ever affording a home with four bedrooms. We fail to realize that our heaters and roofs and abundant renting options and even public housing are all providential. We fail to remember that most people in the history of humanity have had to live with multiple families together or constantly move around in temporary shelters to find food. How quickly we forget. How quickly our thanksgiving dries up and our hearts grow cold. But there is hope. Jesus turns to us and says, oh, you have little faith. He doesn't burn the bridge. He keeps saying, follow me. Follow me. I will help your faith. And we have the Spirit of God now inside of us in ways that the disciples did not yet have. And the Spirit of God has made it his special business to help you be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And all of God's commandments are his enablements. If it's his will for you, he is putting his power behind you to help you be grateful. Valley Creek, God is with you to help you remember. But we must be aware of the danger of forgetting. We must become students of thanksgiving, making our business remembering the faithfulness of God. Even as we seek God's help, there are practical ways I just want to mention briefly uh, that can help you be a student of ways of thanksgiving. First, most obviously, daily remind yourself of the sign of Jonah. Daily remind yourself of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second, remind each other of the gospel. That's what you're doing when you're singing to one another and not just having your Spotify playlist alone at home in the morning, you're declaring the gospel. Remember, wake up. 
These are the things that truly matter. Let's have more of that in our conversations, more of that in our encouragements, more of that in our corrections to one another, remembering the sign of Jonah together. Pray for provision. Do it based on the promises of God. He has promised to add all these things to you as well if you seek first his kingdom. He has promised to keep you. He has promised to to protect you in certain ways. Pray with faith that he will provide. And then track your answered prayer through journaling or other ways. We at Covenant Fellowship Church are marveling and are filled with thanksgiving at the way God joined you with another church and gave you this building. You must not forget the provision of God. I was a small child when Covenant Fellowship raised money to purchase the now land that we have in the building that we now are in. It was a miracle. It was a smaller group than now with a a lower income bracket than now doing things that the people at the banks told us were impossible. And on that day when the numbers were held up of what our little church raised by ourselves, there was a thunder of praise that went forth. And that still marks our church to this day. I want to never forget that none of this was caused by the faithfulness of us. All of it was caused by the miraculous grace of God. Valley Creek, never forget, refuse to forget the way that God has carved away for you. It's like Red Sea parting kind of stuff, the way he has planted you here. Never forget. Trace each provision that God gives you back to Jesus' heart. So remember, don't just track prayer. Oh, he, he answered that. He, he answered that. Remember, he's longing to do it every time he does it. And interact with Jesus in that way. Lord, thank you for loving me so much. Each time he provides for you, it's his heart being exposed in your life. Well, friends, we're prone to forget, but mercifully, God is not like us. And he does not forget us. He he takes our sin and casts it as far as the east is from the west, and he chooses to not remember that. He remembers our best. He continues to show compassion to us, even in our need. And so our hearts don't need to be burdened down with condemnation because of our lack of thanksgiving. Our hearts can rise and swell knowing we are forgiven of all of our sins and we can just commit, I don't want to miss out on all the ways that God is loving me by providing. We can refuse to forget his goodness. We can count with joy the many ways he has been good to us. We can remember with joy the ways that God has proven himself to us in Christ. And we can remember the longing and the compassion that he had on the crowds and that he is having in our lives again and again. So come, all you needy, unsure of how your next bill will be paid. Remember your Savior who loves to provide for you. Come, all you weary who feel like the love of God is distant. Remember your Savior Savior who has done something for you in the cross that you could never imagine, and even in that, aims to woo your heart in worship of him. May our hearts be full of thanksgiving as we remember the remarkable compassion and provision of Jesus today. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Leo Paris given at Valley Creek Church. 
For more information on the church and other messages, please visit us online at www.valleycreek.church.